Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes old and new on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. From Detroit to Virginia to the rehearsal club to the Great White Way, today's guest is one of the industry's most beloved performers. While she has had a four decades plus career, today she's probably best known to audiences as the kindly secretary, Mrs. Moskowitz, on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But in addition to that, she has appeared in the Broadway productions of the original Grease, Rumors, Prelude to a Kiss, Sex and Longing, Taller Than a Dwarf, Rabbit Hole, Old Acquaintance, Accent of Youth, and many more. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Christine Baranski, Neil Simon, Alec Baldwin, Barnard Hughes, Elaine May, Christopher Durang, Alan Arkin, oh my gosh, and so many more. Here is the one and only Cynthia Darlow. Good morning, Cynthia. How are you? Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. We I'm are so, happy to, so happy to have you. Now, I have to ask you, what is it like walking onto the set of Mrs. Maisel? It looks, from, from the audience's perspective, it looks like a time capsule. Yeah. It is one of the best jobs on the planet. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to go to work and know that you're going to laugh all day long. And that you're working with people from, from the creators to the lowliest PA. Everybody is, I, I really, it, it, this is such a rare situation. Everybody is so focused on the the whole on the big picture and facilitating one another's work. It's really amazing. Um, for instance, one tiny little story, uh, the first season, there was a scene where uh, Rachel Brosnahan and I had a phone call. She was in Central Park. They brought in a 1950s phone booth and put it in the park there, you know, and um, I was ostensibly in my office. Well, the day that we shot that, uh, they had Rachel in Central Park in the phone booth, and they brought me in for the day to act with her off camera. 
Oh, yeah. that's, that's unheard of. I mean, exactly. for those who don't know the TV, I mean, they're not going to spend money when they don't yeah. need to. And exactly. it's really special. There was a thing uh, last season where uh, uh, Joel and I were investigating the China Club for the first time. Yes. And uh, uh, being the good secretary, I you know had my little purse and my gloves with me and uh, ready to take notes. And uh, one of the props people noticed that I didn't have a notebook or a pen. I was looking in my purse for something to write with, you know, looking around the set. One of them went to my desk on the office set and got the pencil and paper that I use on my desk and brought it to me for that scene. That's so there was that continuity. I <laughs> mean, stuff like that goes on all the time. They're amazing. Yeah. That's so much love and care put on to that. Yeah. How, how did that come about for you? How did that come about for you? Just the regular way. I got a call from my agent. Would you like to audition for this? Sure, I would. Not knowing anything about it yet, really. <laughs> uh, it was just me, a reader, and the Paladinos in a little tiny room. And uh, they were very cheerful when I came in and said, uh, uh, by the way, we like to work fast. And I said, oh, good. People are always telling me to slow down. <laughs> and... <laughs> We read the scene once, they laughed, uh, then they gave me a little adjustment, and uh, I did it again, and they fell off their chairs. Good. And uh, the next day, I got a call that I got the job. Yes. Now, uh, it's my understanding that Joel and I, those Joel and Mrs. Moskowitz, were only really supposed to be in the first season, and now we're looking at season four. So it's just been an amazing journey. I love it. Now, do you love auditioning? Do you enjoy the process of auditioning? Um, I didn't in my younger years. Now I sort of uh, I get really kind of goosey and compete with myself. I kind of kind of love it. <laughs> so, how, so because you've you've had so many wonderful successes in auditioning, what advice can you pass on to to actors that are either just starting out or actors that are still you know racked with nerves when they go in before a panel? Be prepared. Mm. Uh, if if you're prepared, there's not much to be nervous about. Uh, you have to trust your instincts and uh, do your take on it. Be ready to take an adjustment. You know, you bring up such a great point, which is, you know, have your take on it, which is a lot of the younger actors that we find that we deal with like to come in as a blank slate because they're waiting for someone to, to give them an adjustment or they're waiting to show, listen, uh, I, can be, I can be molded however you want me to be molded. It sounds like you, you feel... You the need opposite. to have it. No, well, we feel the opposite too, and that's something we try to pass on to our students. But can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean by having your own take on something? Um, well, when you first read a script, usually an actor will hear a voice, they will hear a pace, they will, you know, have a, a, some reactions. Go with them. They're bringing you in because. There's a million actors out there, and every single one of you, uh, there are a million choices for them to make. Uh, sure, be able to make an adjustment once you're in the audition. One, the the creatives like to know that you can take direction, and uh, yeah, what you are is unique, and you must trust that. It's very hard when, especially when you're a young actor, to trust that. But your take is really what they're interested in. What do you think the most successful audition you've actually had is? Whether or not you got the job is, is neither here nor there, but an, an audition where you thought, my God, I did really well for myself. Yeah, you know, for me, this is probably not to my detriment, but <laughs> uh, if I've had a good audition, it's kind of secondary to get the job or not. If I've done my work in the audition, that's what thrills me. Then if I get the job, oh my God, that's triple thrill, but uh, yeah. 
That's great. And now I have to ask you, what, what is the craziest audition that you've ever gone on? Has there been one where you thought to yourself, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one for Death Defying Acts where I had to audition for uh, uh, Woody Allen at his um, his screening room at the Beekman place. We've heard uh, about this. I was going to say a couple of days ago, we interviewed Stuart Howard. Yes. yes. So he was, t- your name did not come up, but he was telling some stories about, about this experience. But please, I'm sorry, continue. You were, you were going yeah. to Woody Allen's. Yes. So Stuart called me when I got the audition through my agents. And uh, Stuart called me and he said, now listen, <laughs> it's just going to be you and Woody and me in the room. And um, you're not to uh, uh, make eye contact. Don't touch him. Uh, just go to the chair in the middle of the room, and um, I'll give you a nod, and you'll begin the scene. Well, okay. <laughs> so I came into the room, and Woody was sitting there by himself in this little screening room with a newspaper rather hiding his face. And when I came in, he lowered the newspaper, and he stood up, and he kind of bobbled a little bit, and then he sat right back down. For a moment, I thought he was going to shake my hand, but no, no, he sat back down. And um, so Stuart gave me the nod. I read the scene, and uh, there was no reaction. Uh, I'm not sure what he even looked at me, um, but uh, I read it once, and Stuart gave me the nod again. I got up and left the room. I thought, well, that was pretty strange. I have no idea how that went. <laughs> so let's just move along, you know. Oh. By the time I got home, my phone was ringing when I entered the apartment, and Stuart called and said, Cynthia, I just, I just wanted to call and personally tell you. And I thought, well, here it comes. He says, yeah. you got the job. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, wild. congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> what? A, so you never know. You just never. No, you, just you have absolutely no clue. Never know. You can come out feeling like you did the best thing in the world, and you don't even get a call back. You, we never that's know. That's showbiz. Yeah, things. that's showbiz. You're right. Yeah. Oh my God! So uh, we're gonna go all the way back now, if we can. Okay. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and Newport News, Virginia. Oh. Uh, I was uh, the product of a rancorous divorce going back and forth right. between custody suits. <laughs> uh, so I ended up in uh, Virginia, at uh, now in Detroit. Um, I went to a high school. I was uh, from the wrong side of the tracks there. Went to a high school that was so crowded that we went to school in three shifts. So I went to school what? from like three to seven. What? And yeah, and there were armed police guards in the halls. Every kid had a weapon. It was a rough trade school. I have uh, never heard of high schools being done in shifts. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't laugh, but my yeah. God. Yeah, it was very overcrowded urban school, you know. And uh, uh, so then I ended up uh, going in my uh, junior year to Newport News, Virginia, and I went to a place called Hampton High School. Uh, well, this was like going to a foreign country, you know, here with my little flat, hard Midwestern accent, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, they had something called electives. Well, I didn't even know what an elective was, but apparently there was like art and choir and drama. Well, uh, I, 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 was, I loved to read. I'd, been, I'd learned to read when I was four, and I was a voracious oh, wow. reader. Um, it was my escape into the world to be able to read. And um, 
So I, I looked at this drama course and I thought, well, that's probably reading plays. I love to read. I'd probably like that. So I signed up for it, having no clue really what it was. Love that. And uh, I, I enrolled in this class my first day in class. Um, the teacher was calling roll and I answered. He said, wow, what a voice. And I looked around behind me to see who he was talking about. Uh, (laughs) So this amazing teacher, David McClung, he was originally from Oklahoma. In fact, he trained Candy early too. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So this teacher literally took me under his wing. Um, He forced me to be in the first school play, which was You Can't Take It With You. I said, oh, God, no, no, please, I'll die. Don't make me go in front of people. I was a little brown mouse who never spoke to anyone. And just trying to, uh, you know, avoid the line of fire on the planet. And he said, no, 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 you've got to do this. You're the only teenager I have with a voice husky enough to play the Russian countess. So, oh, my God, I really loved this teacher. So. All right. I just couldn't say no in the end. They threw me into a vintage evening gown and out on the stage, I went with my tray of blintzes. I said my first line and the audience laughed and I thought I would die. Oh my God. I had no idea the power of that. I would, that was it. That was just it. Well, so this teacher, I had a wonderful library plays and I went through it like Grant took Richmond as they say in the South. And, um, from a very poor family and uh, this teacher paid for my college boards and he coached me and drove me 10 hours to North Carolina. He had seen a, um, a Sunday supplement uh, parade magazine that came with the Sunday paper about North Carolina School of the Arts and he said, this is where you need to be. So he coached me and drove me down 10 hours to North Carolina to audition for the North Carolina School of the Arts where I got accepted and got a scholarship and the rest was history. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is From amazing. Uh, and, and edu- we, we run into this a lot, but that one person can have such an indelible, imp- an educator, an, a mentor, yeah. can yeah. do so much. That's yeah. really special. It's a, it's a true Billy Elliot story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, and and thank you to him, my God! Look what he yeah. gave us. Um, oh my God! Yeah, I was in touch with him till the day he died. He was oh. an amazing, amazing human being. Yeah, oh. I've been so proud of you. And so, what was your college experience like? <gasps> was it just be- look happy. It was like being let out of a cage. <gasps> I had no idea what was in store. I, I could not get enough. I was such a sponge. I was, oh, it was just crazy. I loved every second of it. I was never so happy in my life. That's incredible. And so then when you, when you were in college, did you make any trips up to New York or was graduation the first time you were into the city? Uh, the first time I went to New York was again because of this teacher. Uh, he decided that the drama club needed to go to New York and see a Broadway show. So in my junior year, <laughs> we sold Krispy Kreme donuts. We collected SNH green stamps. We did car washes. We did everything we could to raise the money. And we he took a busload of us to New York. My first Broadway show was Man of La Mancha with Richard Kiley. <sighs> That must have, like, also a senior first Broadway show. I mean, that must have made you want it even more. I mean, I would think. I mean, did oh, you know? Yeah. Did you know you wanted to go into this? I mean, uh, you're oh, a voracious oh. reader, but performing now, you caught the bug. Oh yeah, the minute the minute I got that laugh, and you can't take it with you in high school, that was it. There was just yeah. no turning back for me. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah, yeah. So- yeah. We saw we saw the Wild Duck at the APA Phoenix. I don't know if you uh, knew of that rep company, mm-hmm. Ellis Rab, and yeah. all these yeah. incredible people. And uh, I, I I said, oh God, I have to come to New. I knew the minute I set foot on the island that this was where I wanted to be. 
And uh, I wanted to be a member of the APA Phoenix so badly. It was kind of gone by the time I got here, but <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Yeah, we, we don't. Other wonderful things did. We don't have a rep company, do we, in the United Not States? Not anymore. No, no. It's a, it's a shame. That's an absolute shame. It is. I, you know, I was a founding member of the ART in uh, Cambridge. And uh, it was, that was what a hotbed of creativity that was. And that was kind of. When that that went away, wow! When that no longer became a rep, was a rep company, it just about broke my heart. Because mm -hmm. boy, what we set out to do was extraordinary, and we achieved a good deal of what we set out to do. What did you set out to do? I mean, what were some of the goals, and, and why? Because we don't have rep companies anymore. We don't. I mean, there no. used to be so many more across the country, and they yeah. just don't for whatever reason. So, what? Yeah, why? Why did you guys? Um, developing new works, uh, reviving classics. Uh, we just did everything under the sun. It was so exciting, and even on our day offs, we were doing uh, cabaret shows in the annex to the Loeb. It was we just we 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 were just crazy people. I mean, it's Cherry Jones and Tony Shalhoub and and uh, yeah, I mean, amazing people, amazing people. Karen McDonald, Tommy yeah. Dara, uh, uh, just extraordinary film. And Bob Brustein was the head of it. And it <laughs> oh my gosh, it was amazing. You got to work with extraordinary directors: Andre Serban, Andre Belgrader, uh, oh, just amazing people. And so were you, were you spreading your love of theater with, with, with the, the you know, legitimate theater, like the, these, you know, plays and all that, as well as mu musical comedies? Were you, oh, yeah. were both, both worlds were open to you and why, and yeah. you wanted to live in both of them? Now that's a funny story about the musical comedy, because I ended up doing some of the biggest musicals ever written, uh, Greece, the original uh, company of Greece. Yeah. Uh, my last musical was Billy Elliot. I, and in between, you know, um, I had been told by two voice teachers, one in college and one in New York, to forget about musical theater because I was a female baritone and there was no future for me in the American musical theater. Well, when did I ever listen to anybody? Yes. So <laughs> um, I was living at the rehearsal club here in Manhattan. I saw in the uh, backstage uh, this uh, open call for Greece. Uh, I wasn't a member of the union yet. I didn't have an agent. It was just a cattle call. And um, I didn't know how to even prepare for a musical audition, but I had a girlfriend at the rehearsal club who did. And uh, she, uh, another girlfriend helped me pick out two songs. I needed an uptune and a ballad. And uh, there in the parlor of the rehearsal club was a piano and my girlfriend played the piano for me and helped me prepare for the audition. And um, I said, I was gonna be really crafty. And I got to the line at about 7.30 in the morning with my crossword puzzle and a cup of coffee. And I was about number 243 in the line. <laughs> uh -huh. Times haven't changed much. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, but I stuck it out. People dropped out all during the day. They were only going from 10 to six. At uh, 20 minutes of six, I finally made it into the basement of the Royale Theater, which is now the Jacobs. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in the basement and I can hear upstairs the auditions and they're letting people get like two bars and thank you, just like in the movies. I thought, oh God, this is just going to be agony. But I finally got up there at 10 minutes to six and uh, there it was, this big Broadway theater, totally dark except for the ghost light in the middle of the stage. Vinny Liff out in the house, sitting in there, surrounded by pictures and resumes. He said, okay, what are you going to sing? Uh, let me give your, have your up tune. And I sang Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Well, he let me get all the way through the song. I was expecting to be cut off. He let me get all the way through. He said, 
oh, it's great. He said, what's your ballad? And I sang, where the boys are. Again, he let me get all the way through it. He said, great, best audition I've seen all day. Come back Friday and dance. Well, I thought I was going to die right there on the spot because I don't dance. (laughs) 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 But I showed up for the Friday audition. All I had were a pair of sneakers and a pair of jeans. That's what I wore to the audition. And there was Pat Birch. And turns out she was looking for people who looked like real teenagers dancing. She didn't want dancer dancers. And I freaking got the job. The, for the for, for the for, uh, the end of the first national tour, beginning of the second national tour, and I had just gotten an eviction notice. The gas and electricity had already been shut off. I was destitute, and the job began in three weeks' time. Oh my God! What a yeah. I mean, I literally didn't even have any furniture. I had a breadboard that I put across the little two-burner stove, and that was my table. I found a stool on the street, and I had a waitress job, and I could get one meal a day there, and then I would steal crackers and ketchup packets, and I would have crackers and ketchup for dinner or, or squirt ketchup into a bowl of hot water to pretend it was soup. Oh I mean, that's how goodness. desperate it was. God bless you, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And, but but you see, students, you persevere yeah. and look look from yeah, that to right. this. My God, yeah. so we you have persisted. to. We, we before we talk about the Greece experience, I wanted to ask you about the rehearsal club. Oh my gosh! There was okay. a, there's a whole great article about about this yes. in, in the place. About- about a year and a half ago, yeah. um, I, by chance, met an investigative reporter at a gala at the National Arts Club. And she was asking me a million questions. Well, investigative reporter. You know? So uh, we were like in the middle of this elegant cocktail party. And take, we, we must have talked for 45 minutes. And then we felt like we really should be getting around scrooging at this cocktail party. We're just standing here having this great talk. And she handed me her card. And she said, you know, I may be calling you. She said, I think. Uh, my paper might want to do a story on you. I said, oh, really? I said, well, who's your paper? She said, the New York Post. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So I put the business card in my evening bag and forgot about it. Well, about three weeks later, she called up. She had hired a photographer and we went out for about five hours and we took pictures of me in front of the theater where I had my first Broadway show. And we went to the spot where the rehearsal club used to stand and we went up to the uh, employee tea room at the post and talked some more. And then she wrote this incredible article. Uh, Here's what happened. When I came to New York, um, my first job out of School of the Arts uh, which I got from the Southeastern Theater Conference, one of those deals where you have like two uh, yes. S-E-S-E-T-C, uh, S-E-T-C, that's right. I yeah, remember yeah. that. Yeah. Still around, still yeah. around. Yeah, still going. Yeah. And I got a job with the National Shakespeare Company, non-equity company, touring for a year with um, Midsummer Night's Dream, King Lear, and the Sophocles Antigone. Okay. <laughs> so I, after that tour, I got on the Greyhound bus and went straight to New York. No job, no place to live, and literally 25 bucks in my pocket. And I thought, well, I'm just going to couch surf. A lot of my friends from college had already moved here, and I was just going to you know, stay a week here, a week there, and people's sofas, whatever. Uh, but I had two girlfriends who were living at this place called the Rehearsal Club on West 53rd between 5th and 6th. It was a theatrical boarding house for young actresses. You had to audition to get in. You had to have two letters of recommendation from theater professionals vouching for your seriousness. Well, I had two letters because two of my teachers had already lived in New York, uh, but I, I didn't have an audition prepared. Uh, but the house mother took pity on me. I called up a girlfriend. She said, we're kind of full, but come meet the house mother. Maybe we can do something. 
the house mother put a cot in a room with three other girls for me, and I had this place to stay and two meals a day for about 60 bucks a week. Well, I didn't even have the 60 bucks, so I gave them 10 towards my food, and the next morning I went out and got the New York Times for the want ads and backstage for the auditions, and off I went. Well, I was lucky, and I got a job waiting tables right away. Uh, down in the village, there was a little uh, pub that had just put in a sidewalk cafe, and they needed an extra hand, and I just kind of walked into it. So I started waiting tables, and uh, I was babysitting. I dressed up like a gorilla and passed out pamphlets in Times Square for four bucks an hour. Um, I started a business, which only consisted of a business card with an answering service number on it, because I didn't have enough to, to make a deposit for a phone, um, called Out Damn Spot. And me and two other actresses would come and clean your apartment for 15 bucks. Um, so I was doing so many things I could never get back to the rehearsal club for my two meals. But in a few months with all those crazy jobs I was doing, I got an apartment down in the village. And uh, that's where it began. And tell us a little bit more about the history of the club itself. And, and what it was like living there. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was the best. That piece, that piece of them taking me in and giving me a safe place to live has made my whole 51-plus-year career possible. I'm not lying. Mm -hmm. That is totally true. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have lasted two weeks. Mm -hmm. So the rehearsal club ran from about 1911 to 1979. I landed there in 1973. Um, it was uh, kind of a gift from uh, the Rockefellers who bought these two brownstones and refurbished them and donated them to the rehearsal club with tax-free status. Mm -hmm. uh, Helen Hayes was on the board. Kitty Carlisle Hart was on the board. Um, uh, just amazing people. And uh, it was literally, uh, the, well, the movie Stage Door by Edna Ferber was based on that. Uh, it was called the Footlights Club in the movie. But that was a real place. And that's where we were at the rehearsal club. Um, it was a sisterhood. There was um, a parlor. A cafeteria in the basement with Southern cooks, so the food was amazing. <laughs> um, we had a cork board with a payphone on the parlor wall, and that's where we would pin messages. And you know, somebody would call and say, "Hey, Chris, you got a call? She ain't here. Take a message." And they would just put the you know little tablet of paper and pencil in the note on the cork board. And when you'd come home, you'd check the cork board for your messages, and that's how it worked. The, everybody helped one another. Um, my experience was there was never any competition between us. We were all very, very supportive of one another. It was a real sisterhood. Mm. And uh, like I say, it, it just made my entire career possible. So fast forward a little bit. Um, this needs to happen again. It closed in 1979. The building is gone. There's no way a young actress can get started in Manhattan anymore. The rents are prohibitive. I mean, I know cases today of five ballerinas living in a studio and they're still paying 600 bucks a piece. You know, it's, it's outrageous. And uh, if there was ever a time that proved how badly we need the arts, it's now. Here we are. The arts is the only thing that's pulling us all through this COVID-19 virus. Yeah. Uh, so I've been really passionate about wanting to make this happen again. So about 10 years ago, Kathy Conry and a bunch of other extraordinary former residents of the rehearsal club uh, rebanded. We uh, elected officers were paying dues. We became a club once again. So we were going along doing things. We wanted to, you know, mentor younger women. And uh, it was a dream to have another dwelling. Uh, we had a documentary in the works. Uh, all we've been able to afford so far is a trailer. <laughs> uh, 
27 of us, or no, actually 30 now, 30 of us wrote 10-page memoirs about our life at the rehearsal club. And I was on the writing committee that uh, combined all this material and edited it to get it in professional shape to submit. Uh, we were with a literary agent for three years that kind of went nowhere, uh, but we're trying to get our book published, which we'd like to use as a marketing tool. Um, we, we sponsor a young woman, uh, every two years we have something called the Key Awards. One of our wonderful women designed, um, like a piece of jewelry. It's a gold key that is a replica of the key that opened the front door to the rehearsal club. And we give that as an awards. This year we are awarding it to Carol Burnett, who lived there, as did, uh, Kim Cottrell, Diane Keaton, Sandy Duncan, Blythe Danner, uh, and they've all been very supportive. Um, Blythe, in fact, has agreed to write the foreword to the book if we ever are lucky enough to get it published. Um, so we're doing all these things. And about three, about three years ago, I was noodling around on the computer. And this ad popped up for an organization called uh, Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. And I thought, huh. What the heck is that? So I went to their site, and it turns out they're this group of lawyers who work pro bono to help artists who really don't often have much uh, business ad uh, and bring their dreams to fruition. Pro bono. Well, they were giving um, a seminar on uh, nonprofit organizations, and I thought, huh. I'm going to take this. So just on my own dime, and I didn't say anything to the membership yet of the rehearsal club, and I just went and took this seminar. Well, I came out with a packet of information that was like a, an envelope of gold. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, we should go nonprofit. It would open us up to be able to receive grants and give us nonprofit status that, you know, it, it, we could raise a lot more money with something like this behind us. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to the membership meeting and to the girls and I said, here's what I found out. And they were like, yeah, well, what about this? And how are we going to do that? And who's going to do this? And how are we going to? I said, oh, God, okay, right. I took down all the questions. This time I took my pal Denise Pence, who was also at the School of the Arts, and we both lived at the rehearsal club. And um, we took a second meeting with the VLA. Uh, this time, they gave us a team of six lawyers and a conference room, and we sat and talked with them for about an hour and a half. And they asked us a lot of questions. We asked them a lot of questions. And at the end of the meeting, they said, you guys should go nonprofit. Oh, my God. Okay. So Denise and I walk out arm in arm, very excited. And we looked at each other and we said, Nobody's going to want to do all this work. <laughs> so I know, but you know, so we took it back to the membership. I led the meeting and gave the report and we took a straw poll at the end of the meeting and it was unanimous to go forward. So last February, we became a nonprofit organization. We are still awaiting our tax-free status. The state has all our paperwork, and uh, it's just a matter of time now. I think that it will be awarded to us. But we can already start writing for grants and things, and that will be retroactive when we do get our tax-free status. So this is uh, this is maybe happening. Congratulations! <laughs> this is you. yeah. Congratulations! This, this is just so far out of again. my wheelhouse. I can't begin to tell you, but I've learned a lot, and I'm really passionate about it. As are the rest of the women. So we might actually make this happen someday. 
great congratulations and yeah, we, we cannot well we can't wait to read the book and we can't wait to watch the documentary and then hopefully oh, I we'll hope get that too <laughs> and then hope and then hopefully we'll get this institution back at some point it's so needed everybody mm-hmm. i talk to about it is so excited when that article came out in the post i got hundreds of messages from all over the nation from educators from actors from agents from talent reps from uh, realtors everybody said how can we help so I'm confident Good. that we can do something here. This is Lucille. Do you want to help keep Broadway behind the curtain on the air? Head over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search Behind the Curtain, Broadway's living legends, and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar. Just tell them, here you come, pow, pow. Light the candles. Get the ice out. I'm going to sing until you give. Roll the rug up. Give today at Patreon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So now we're going to jump back to Greece a little bit if we can. <laughs> so you've, you've aced this dance audition, even though you think you're not a dancer. You, you, you passed Pat Birch's <laughs> litmus test. And so then, so what happens next? So I went on tour for a year on a and, bus and truck. <laughs> and, 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 and what did you do in Greece while you were on tour? I, I played Jan. What was tour life like for you? How did you enjoy uh, touring around the country at such a young age? I loved it. I, I'm, I'm a very curious person. Yes. And uh, I, was the, I was the kid on the tour who would get to a town, find out what there was to do and what it had to offer, and then organize outings. That was me. We love you when we're on tours. So you're, you're, the, you're the catalyst. You're the one that makes all the fun happen. So we thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, we had a ball. It was extraordinary touring the nation. And boy, does it pull you together. Well, National Shakespeare Help did that too. You got so you could walk into a theater and go, ah, and find out what the acoustics were like, how, the size of the theater, how big your movements had to be. Uh, the minute the first line was spoken, you could read the house and what kind of reactions you were going to get. It was so informative, so educational. I recommend it to every actor to go on tour while you're young. It is yeah. so valuable. Um, yeah, it was amazing. There were, you learned that there were regional differences in the humor across the nation. Uh, what played in one place would not necessarily play that well in another. It was just incredibly valuable. What, and what a great arsenal to gather for yourself at such a young age as an actor. Yeah, yeah. It sounds I like mean, for my first two gigs to be National Shakespeare and Greece, I mean, 
How wild is that? Polar opposites a, a yeah. little bit. Did, did, when did my you... teachers found out that my first Broadway show was Grease, they were held, holding their heads in their hands because they were expecting me to be the next Judith Anderson, and it was so far from that. <laughs> I would like to have seen Dame Judith Anderson in Grease, though. I think that would have been a fun... <laughs> A, f- a fun evening in the theater. Um, I, what was your favorite city that you played? Oh, there were so many. But uh, the first one that I totally fell in love with because it was just so foreign from anything I knew was Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. It was so magical. It's very touristy now still, although Taos is still kind of magical. Uh, but uh, seeing the desert for the first time, all I knew of the desert was, you know, the Sahara from movies. Sure. I had no idea that there were shapes and vegetation and color. It, it knocked my socks off. Mm-hmm. And being on a bus, I mean, I saw this country. It was between that, between all the touring I've done, and then later on in my real life and under my own power, um, I've played every single state in the United States except Alaska and Hawaii. Theaters in Alaska and Hawaii, do you hear this? We have to we have to tick these two off. My God, what oh, I have to add Nevada to that list because actually I was about to play Nevada in Vegas mm-hmm. when I got tapped to come into the Broadway company in New York. So I never actually played Nevada. But you okay, got to make so your Broadway debut. I did. Cynthia's I did. got three states, folks. Let's let's make sure we get them. <laughs> let's make it happen. That's a whole book right there. That is very, very cool. Okay, so then who are some of the people that were on the road with you in Greece? Because Greece has like in addition to you, it's like a who's who. It's like a training ground. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, this is going to be really hard to remember because I did so many companies in Greece because I did summer stock companies as well before I went to the Broadway company. Uh, two, two, two national tours, uh, a couple of summer stock companies, and then the Broadway company. So I literally did Greece for about five years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I watched them come. I watched them go. <laughs> you and, and, you, and you were always Jan. Like the, that was always that. Jan. So, yeah. How many people? Perform- ended, up, ended up, this is ironic, I ended up being dance captain in the Broadway Broadway company. <laughs> there we go, folks. Yeah. I love Bob Fosse, eat your heart No, out. it wasn't amazing. because I was a great dancer. It was because I'd been there so long. I knew everybody's stuff and <laughs> I could teach it. <laughs> Pat Birch and Tom Moore, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, on the Broadway company, Pat Birch and Tom Moore would come in every six months to check out the show. And if anybody was walking through it, they were gone. So, and it was my job to keep it fresh. Otherwise, well, that's right. Cause you're the dance captain. That is yeah. your, your, your yeah. you have a power position now. You and the stage yeah. managers are yeah. in charge of it. So uh, I learned to play little games with myself. Uh, like I would be off in the wings and hearing the overture. And I would say to myself, okay, tonight, make sure you really hear what your fellow actor is saying to you before you react to it. Okay. Tonight, I'm going to pretend there's somebody really important to me sitting in the audience. Okay. Tonight, I'm going to make sure that my Dance steps are extra sharp. I'm going to really, really be on it. You know, just I would just set little tasks for myself to keep it fresh. I love it. And of course, in a long-running show, there's little jokes that go on. (laughs) I was going to ask about that too, because you know, know, that's a fine line of like. Can the audience see this or can they? I, it's, yes. Sometimes they could, mostly not, but sometimes they could. <laughs> I, um, I, was, I was always such a pill about that sort of thing. I do not approve. <laughs> but there was one night, okay, we'd all been there a really long time. And I had this thing in the first number where I had to peel a banana in time to the music. And the final pose was me holding the banana about to eat it, which was slightly rude, of course, and meant to be. Well, one night I came uh, to pick up my cafeteria tray 
and there was an enormous plantain. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to keep it together and knowing what was ahead at the end of the number, that I was going to have to peel this like two foot long banana. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's great. It Someone... was especially rude. <laughs> yes. I heard there was gum rationing. Is that true that they had there to ration the gum? There was gum rationing. The producers felt that we were chewing too much bubble gum and there was <laughs> bubble gum rationing. Here's a show that ran eight years and they couldn't afford the bubble gum. And I'm telling you, I think maybe this piece of set might even be in the Smithsonian. I'm not sure. But the, the back of the set was just, all the joints were held together with chewed bubble gum. It was really pretty gross <laughs> i love that years, yeah so you you were involved with greece for five years then um so during the day when you weren't performing were you going to acting classes voice classes or were you using the day to recharge yourself um i was still doing uh extra stuff i was uh coaching a little bit coaching audition scenes and uh, but mostly it's spent recovering and getting ready for the show. Really, your whole day is in a musical is spent gearing up for that performance. And then Greece ends. What's next for you? That chapter oh. closes. Oh, that was amazing. Um, I, I finally I decided it was time for me to leave Greece. I didn't know that it was going to close two months later. Oh. But uh, I decided to leave, and uh, I didn't have an agent. You know, I walked into an open call and got the job, and I oh, saved yeah. some money there. <laughs> yeah. So um, I called Vinny Liff, who gave me that break, and I said, "Okay, Vinny, who's smart with their actors? I need an agent." And he sent me to the Gage Group, where I remained for like seven years. And the next job I got through an audition was uh, to be a founding member of the ART. I was hired to do uh, as you like it. And uh, then they asked me to join the company. Tell us a little bit more about the ART, please. Oh, my gosh. It was so amazing. And ART um, stood for, or stands for? Uh, the American Repertory Theater. Great, thank uh, you. Housed at Harvard. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very, very heady stuff. Uh, like I said, it was a hotbed of creativity. We worked our butts off. It was a true rep company. We would, uh, you know, rehearse one show in the morning, another show in the afternoon, perform a third at night, and, uh, you know, switch the sets back and forth all during the week. It, it was just extraordinary. And, uh, the, the again, the camaraderie and support of one another was off the charts. You just don't uh, find that much anymore today. And, and who else was in your company with you, please? Uh, Tony Shaloub, Cherry Jones, Karen McDonald, Tommy Dara. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna leave out extraordinary important people, but uh, yeah, it was an amazing group. When when you were working with these people, did you all go? Oh my God, these these people are fantastic. These, everyone here has a bright career ahead of them. I mean, this was the uh, winner's circle. Yeah, we never knew about the bright career ahead of us. None of us had that kind of confidence. But uh, we certainly. Oh, Rick Ellis. Rick Ellis. How could I leave out Rick Ellis? Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. He was my Lysander in Midsummer Night's Dream. We were Hermia and Lysander. And uh, Cherry Jones and Steve Rao were uh, um, uh, Helena and Demetrius. Wow. That's fantastic. That, what, yeah. a, what a great company. And so how long were you with the company for? Uh, about two years. And then I would go back every now and then for a, here, a show here, a show sure. there. Yeah, and we and I'm I'm assuming you were all living up at Harvard, right? Yes, I mean, was, yes. I mean, you couldn't do anything fact, else. Cherry, Cherry, and I were roommates at one of the Harvard dorms. That's where <laughs> we first got to be pals. Yeah, that's I'm fascinated that you you were in a commercial run of a musical for five years, and yeah. then it's like you went back to 
you know, cutting your teeth again. You know, you were like, you know, in the yeah. trenches and you know what I mean? There, there's a little bit of a sense. And a lot I of starting that, over. <laughs> a little bit. Was that a conscious choice? Did you, did you know that at the time? Because, you know, some people, when they're in a big, big Broadway show, they think, all right, I want the next one. Where's the next one? Yeah. You know? And, no, I, I, you know, I, I never gave a rat's patootie about uh, celebrity or any of that. I really, uh, this sounds so phony, but I love the work. I just love the process. I, you know, I, I almost don't need to perform. I just never want rehearsal to end. Then I do get to perform and I do love performing, but my gosh, I just really love the process and the give and the take among actors. It's that's, that's the knockout for me. And in the rehearsal hall, how do you begin your creation of a character? So, you know, you get cast, the script comes to comes to you. What do you do next? What is your process? It really depends on the project. Sometimes I work from the inside out, and sometimes I don't know who I am until I get the clothes, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> is your training more like Meisner-based, Stanislavski-based, Stella Adler-based? I mean, where do you fit, or is it just gut instinct that Cynthia has created? Well, it's a combination of all of it. At the School of the Arts, I got to do everything. We, we trained Chekhov, we trained Meisner, we, you know, all of it. I was exposed to all of it. And, you, you know, you take what you need at the moment and go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did that. You, you're at ART for a couple of years. And then what's, what's the next part of your journey? Uh, came back and went hungry for a while. And I thought, uh-oh, geez, maybe I should go back to school. Oh, I'm scared and nothing's happening here. Uh, but, you know, auditions began to happen. A lot, a lot of off-Broadway stuff, which I also really loved. Um, uh, my first job off-Broadway was uh, an evening of Tennessee Williams One Acts. And uh, I got to meet Tennessee Williams. He came. Okay, uh, so this, what's this like? Wow. What is this yeah, legend? This is a great story. This was at the Manhattan Theater Club. Rosemary Tischler and Barry Moss in those days. And uh, I got this job. It was being directed by one of my uh, teachers at the School of the Arts, Dolores Ferraro, a wonderful director. And uh, it was two one acts. Uh, this property is condemned and Portrait of a Madonna. Now, in Portrait of a Madonna was uh, starring Olive Deering, this wonderful character actress who was an old pal of Tennessee's. They had been, you know, drinking buddies together. So, um, he came now we, we the my, my show was first this property is condemned was first and he came late came in the middle of the show walked right in in the middle of the show and sat down and uh started laughing louder than anybody else in the audience so he began to draw attention and people began to realize it was freaking tennessee williams sitting right there so then he stays for the second who to see olive of course and uh he again just had a ball and at the end of the applause, he stood up and came out on the stage and uh, led an impromptu uh, talk back. Wow. So we were, there for, yeah, we were there for about 15, 20 minutes. And then he said, all right, now I think it's time we all went and got something cool to drink. And uh, so the idea Exactly what I out. expect him to say. Yeah. So the cast went out drinking with Tennessee Williams. Well, I was sitting there with my mouth hanging open. I couldn't believe it. I said, oh, my God, this is amazing. Well, there was a lot of talk about there should be an evening of Tennessee Williams 1X on Broadway. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm going to Broadway. You know? But no. That never happened. <laughs> but it was quite an evening, I oh, must yeah. say. Broadway's lost. Broadway's lost. So how do you feel the business has changed for an actor from uh, the late 70s, early 80s with this time period you're talking about to now, 2020? 
Oh boy. Well, it's certainly got a lot more celebrity driven than when I first started out. Um, that was kind of heartbreaking. A lot of doors started to close without big television and film credits. Um, so that was, I, I would say the biggest one. Uh, the next one was technology, technology. Oh my God, that technology exploded. Um, it was, uh, uh, it was such a, a big deal when Greece was using microphones on stage and in hand and visible. That was, that was pretty major. I mean, I had been trained to hit the back wall of a theater for the deaf old lady in the back row. Yeah. Uh, I felt uh, like I was cheating a little bit to sing into a mic, but of course we had electronic band. So you had to have you know microphones. So yeah, technology was the biggest thing. And then the big spectacles that began to appear on Broadway that I felt sort of, um, I took away from some of the skill that I had grown up with. Are there things that you learned that you still are using today, things that have not gone obsolete for you? Mm. Yeah, all the values and etiquette that I learned. There's a lot of etiquette missing in the theater today, I think. If you, if you could pass on three etiquette lessons to uh, the new generation that's coming up, what would mm. you tell them? Um, if you have arrived on time for rehearsal, you're 15 minutes late. Everybody that you are working with from uh, a stitcher in the costume shop to a prop guy backstage to the lighting designer to every single person involved respect everybody's work I, you know if i had my way i think that you should have to work on every single job there is in the theater before you get your union card so that everybody understands how much everybody contributes and you'll never be disrespectful or unkind to anybody ever again well, that's good. Everybody's incredibly important. And you don't do this by yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love and that. What, what would be the third thing? Uh, maintain a standard of excellence, I would say. Mm. We should have those like commandments just yeah. like engraved <laughs> and stuck I'll in Times Square. Sampler. Yeah. Thank you. yeah, put it on the sampler. Put it on the sampler. Um, I'm so curious. Tell us how rumors came about. Uh, this was another amazing story. My God, I've been so lucky. Um, um, Jay Binder hired me as a reader for the auditions. Uh, as far as I knew, there was no job available. I was just there to be a reader, which I loved. I mean, there was Gene Sachs, Neil Simon. I mean, <laughs> Oh my God. Pretty nice group of people. Yeah, yeah. So um, there was this part of uh, the cop. And who is going to be played by a, a very tall uh, African-American gentleman eventually. But I was the reader for the auditions when the cop was reading with other actors. So I'm up there trying to pretend to be this giant cop. And um, at one of the breaks in the, the readings, uh, Neil called me over to the edge of the stage. And he said, uh, you know, Sin, you, you give me an idea. He says, you're like a little midget pit bull up there. He said, uh, what if there were two cops, a great big one and a little one? He said, would you be interested in playing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would be. <laughs> so he wrote that in. That's how that happened. And then through the course of the auditions, they then asked me if I would be interested in understudying uh, uh, Jessica Walter and Joyce Van Patten. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, those are two big parts, you know. And I said, well, you know, Officer Pudney, could I do all of them? Could I do Officer Pudney and uh, understudy them? And they said yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. So what's it like being in a room with Gene Sachs and Neil? Oh, like going to comedy college. Uh. Yeah. 
I mean, a couple of times we all went out to dinner together when we were out in San Diego at the Old Globe, which is where we did the out-of-town tryout. And it was like I would just sit there and worship at their feet. The stories they had to tell, oh, my God. It was just, like I say, it was comedy college. And the extraordinary cast. I mean, I, I just was, I was, again, felt like a sponge. I just couldn't get enough. Can, can you tell us some of the people that were in this cast with you? It's also a high level. My God. Ron Liebman, may he rest in peace. Christine Baranski, Mark Nelson, uh, Ken Howard, mm-hmm. Joyce Van Patten, Jessica Walter. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. So what's it like sharing the stage with these people? I mean, you're all, I mean, this is the A-team. You guys are all part of the A-team. Do you yeah. feel... I was intimidated at first, but um, uh, I was made to feel that I I was a contributor, so it it got more comfortable. Tell us about the art of being an understudy. Hmm. (gasps) Quite an art. Yes. Um, I I, I did a lot of understudying early in my career. Um, Boy, again, another real training period um, that stood me instead the rest of my life. Um, I'm good at it because I'm fast and I can learn, uh, uh, I was fast at learning lines. Um, I'm a, I, as I said, I'm a sponge and I would watch the show every single night and just take everything I could use, only steal the good stuff as they say. And there was plenty of good stuff to steal, but, um, not always are you welcome to bring your own contribution. Sometimes they want you to mirror what's already going on. I've had both experiences. Uh, sometimes the understudies are treated like a part of the company and sometimes not. It's a very difficult position. Uh, some uh, people are threatened by an understudy, thinking that the understudy is just lurking, waiting for something to happen to them. It's mostly not the case. <laughs> and, uh, it's terrifying to go on when you've had two weeks rehearsal where everybody else has had four. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really scary. Uh, but um, as I say, I happened to be good at it, and so I did a lot of it. Um, in my later years, I started saying no to that because I couldn't take the heart attack call anymore. You're yeah. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you never got, most times you didn't get to work with the director. You got to work with a stage manager and some stage managers were better directors than others. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, uh, it just got too hard to be that scared. And so I stopped, I stopped doing it a few years ago. And do, you don't miss that aspect of it, right? Cause you said, I don't. I, I felt like I never got to do my best work. So would you walk us through what the process is? So are you, are, you, are you at the theater and then they go, hey, guess what? You're on, Cynthia? Or do you have to check in at half an hour and go, hey, what's going on tonight? How does that work? All the scenarios. Uh, so they were Back in the early days, uh, you could be at home and wait for a call. You would check in at half hour with the stage manager and say, you know, everything okay? Everything's good? Okay. You got your evening. Uh, other times, uh, there were stage managers who insisted that you be at the theater from half hour on till the lat- till your, whatever character you were covering made its last entrance. You would have to just sit there all night long. Um, I would usually not spend that sitting in a dressing room listening. I would go out front and watch just about every night until it would get counterproductive. <laughs> and I would go, and, go into the right. dressing room for a few days. <laughs> I have to uh, ask yeah. about. Uh, 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 something you did that was not on Broadway or, or off Broadway, but because it was so important in my life growing up, I'm just curious where Square One Television <gasps> came into your life. It was my favorite show, and I didn't remember it was my favorite show until I did research on you, and I thought, oh my god, I totally forgot so about MathNet and all. I, yes. I, 
loved this show. Can you just yeah. tell us a little bit about it? Because yeah. it's one of your first film and TV, you know, gigs. And yeah, you, my first big gig in, te- in television. We spent more time talking yeah. about theatrical stuff, that but I'm so came, curious. You know, I was talking about that period where I came back to New York uh, after the ART and was just going hungry. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, it was almost nine months before I had a job. And I thought, oh, my God, I should go back to school. What am I going to do? And Square One TV came along. Um, again, just standard audition. Ended up getting the job. Oh, my God. Again, one of the best jobs in the world. An extraordinary company. Um, we The first two pilots, they did two pilots, were underwritten by IBM. And so we had anything we asked for. It was just incredible. Uh, we did, on the average, of 11 sketches and a music video per week. Per week. Um, I got to sing, dance, act. Pat Birch was choreographing. We got reunited there. I mean, it was amazing. We had a ball. And teaching math to America's youth. Well, I, I was a straight-A student, except for math. I couldn't pass math to save my life. I can barely tell time. You show me a number, and I just, my heart goes cold. So... <laughs> I understand that. So we had a PhD mathematician on the set at all times. And many's the time he would have told you that I would be calling him at 11 o'clock at night when I've got a 7 a.m. call saying, Joel, explain this to me. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he would you know, lead me through drawings and sketches and things and explain the math to me so that I could do my job the next day. Kevin, maybe you can show that to, to your new baby. I'm, 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 I'm looking it up now. I, it's It's taking me all the way back down that memory lane and I, uh, I just love it. I, I'm so happy to talk to someone who was a part of it. So that's, that's nice. This is so really funny. Sweet. When, uh, when I got Mrs. Maisel, um, the wonderful gentleman, Matthew Shapiro, who's in charge of, um, of a uh, video for Amazon, uh, sought me out at the first, uh, at the open, at the uh, premiere party. And he said, Cynthia Darlow, he said, when I saw your name on the cast list, I just did a leap because you were my favorite actress on my favorite show, Square One TV. Wow. I nearly died. I nearly died. So the next time I saw him was at the rap party and I had a little Square One TV button left over. And I said, ooh, if I run into that guy again, I'm going to give this to him. So I put it in my evening bag and sure enough, we found each other at the party and I gave it to him and he was so happy. <laughs> so what an I love coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you seem to enjoy working over all different types of, of mediums. As long as you're working, you're happy, it seems. That's it. My husband will tell you that for sure (laughs) and what is your husband involved in the arts as well he is he is um his name is richard ferrone and he is the love of my life and a wonderful actor uh he was a a lawyer he was a labor lawyer in washington dc in fact was on the task forces that wrote osha and erisa oh he hated being a lawyer. He felt that the law could just be made to interpret anything you wanted it to be. And he just, he's a very moral guy and it just drove him crazy. So uh, when his first marriage broke up and they didn't have any children, he decided to blow up the whole thing and come to New York and learn to be an actor. That's great. So he came to New York and went to HB Studios. Uh, he was with Tony Randall's National Actors Theater, the inaugural season. Uh, he did a lot of off-Broadway. He was at Trinity Rep for eight years. Uh, and uh, then he came to New York and started doing audiobooks. And for the last, I would say, 20 years, he's been a giant star in the audiobook world. Yeah, I recognize that name. Yeah, yeah. he's very well known in that industry. 
Yeah. Very well. It's won like three Audis, which is like the Tony Award in uh, audiobook world. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, it seems that, you know, you're able to keep a a healthy balance between, you know, both of you working in the arts. You find that to be helpful, right? When when the partner understands the. Oh, you know, it is. I never thought I would be with an actor in a million years. I thought that would be the last person I would be with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Richard is a grown-up, and we have so much respect for one another's work. It's never a competition. Mm-hmm. We are just very supportive. We were both a member of uh, TACT, which is the acronym for the Actors' Company Theater, for 22 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, both did shows together there. And uh, that was, that was the kind of, the, I feel like, the last rep company in New York. Yeah. Uh, when TACT folded two years ago, and it was just heartbreaking. I know everybody misses it, audience and actors alike. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we were in that together and um, he's still recording like a crazy person until COVID hit. Yeah, that, that sort of has just slowed everything down. Yeah. Now, how are you, now, in this time, I mean, you you are so productive in your daily life as an artist. And then all of a sudden that's OK. We're putting that on hold. Mm-hmm. How are you getting through the day to day? How are you still keeping yourself artistically satisfied? Um, I'm sewing masks. <laughs> Great. Bless yep. you. Sewing masks. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I'm recording fairy tales for uh, y- the young children in my life, um, sending MP3s, and uh, if I can get it together, a video where they can see if it's a picture book, I can make a video and, and record. Oh. Um, I-, I record audiobooks as well. That has all come to a standstill for both of us because we don't have a home studio. We have a first floor front apartment, and there's no way we would get a professional result to, you know, we could, could never soundproof it well enough. Yeah. And-, and we don't have the room. It's a little one bedroom apartment, you know. So, um, yeah, uh, we're reading, we're watching a lot of television, so much wonderful content available. So much content, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's about it for creative activity right now. But that's a lot, though. I mean, you're not, you're not ju- just sitting there staring at the wall. I mean, you're... Cons- you know, oh, gosh, I still can't find enough hours in the day. <laughs> Cynthia, this, I can't even tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out with us today. This has just been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so much fun. Oh, you are so welcome. You, yeah. you have had such an amazing, amazing career. And, folks, if she's in Alaska, Hawaii, or Nevada, you have to go <laughs> see it because that means she's getting to the end of the tour. This is a big deal for all <laughs> right. of us. Right. So I cannot wait for that to happen. Cynthia, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all the brilliance you've given us over the years. Thank you so year. much. Oh, bless your hearts. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Till next time, everybody. Bye, listeners. Bye. Bye. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.